Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Let's welcome our guest to the show. We're joined by Devry Hamilton, offensive lineman from Duke. Devry, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Right off the bat, we want to find out what you're planning to do during the NFL Draft weekend. Will you be on the couch, watching it by yourself, or will you be throwing a draft party with your family? What are your plans right now? Uh, nothing crazy. It'll just be me and my parents at home. Yeah, I guess I'll be, I'll be watching for sure in hopes of getting my name called, but yeah, I'm not doing anything crazy. It'll just be me and the family. Your pro day was on March 29th. What were the overall impressions from that big day? Were you happy with your performance? I was definitely happy with my performance. You know, show my explosiveness, show my athleticness, um, my, you know, football ability when I got into doing some of the drills. But, you know, jumping 33-and-a-half-inch vertical, 9-4 broad, just to show that explosiveness was great. And then, you know, running 5'1", 5'2", 40 at 311 pounds, that was great to put on tape as well. But, you know, happy to be done with that process and just looking forward to what's next in the future. Teams aren't allowed to talk to prospects after the pro day. Am I correct about that this year? Uh, no, they can set up meetings and things like that. Virtual meetings, right? Yeah. On Zoom? Yeah. Have you had a lot of interest from teams after that pro day? Did a lot of teams reach out to you? I'd say I've probably talked to a little bit more than half the league, whether it's meetings, you know, background information, things of that nature. But I definitely have been talking to teams uh, since Pro Day, for sure. Tropical Bowl was an all-star event in Orlando, Florida, that you were a part of. Tell us about that experience, just performing of in front of NFL scouts for basically the, the first time this year. Yeah, uh, it was definitely good to be down there and get that first-hand exposure. Uh, it was one of the only all-star games I got to play this year. So on top of playing, you know, 11 games this season, I got the chance to go down to Florida and showcase my skills in front of NFL scouts, you know, for the first time this year. Uh, it was also good, you know, to talk to them, tell them a little bit about myself, things like that. So on top of them seeing me, you know, my physical stature, my ability on the field, they also get to know me as a, as a player, as a person, who I am, things like that. Doing the research on you, uh, we found out that you were born in Germany. What do you still remember about your time there? Do you still speak the German language? Yeah, I speak schon auf ein bisschen Deutsch. Um, <laughs> I was born there. Uh, I lived there until I was nine. So I've spent more time in the States now than I than I did in Germany. But I've, my mom's side of the family is German. So I've got, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, things of that nature. Still some friends from my early days in school over there. But yeah, I haven't been back in a couple of years. Just, you know, it's been busy with football. Yeah, definitely still got connections and roots over there. Which part of Germany were you in? Were you in the eastern part where Berlin is or the western part where Munich is? We were in the, I would say, southwestern part in a, the city called Stuttgart. Were you a big soccer fan growing up? Because, I mean, in Germany, obviously, soccer is, is like a religion. I liked soccer a little bit. Uh, I never played it myself. Definitely have become a bigger soccer fan as I've gotten older, I would say. So you didn't play soccer in high school once you uh, you were in the States? No. I just think for your size, I mean, you can get 
in there as a goalkeeper, nobody would be able to score on you. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never tried it out. I've never never had an interest in playing it. Your family, you mentioned, moved from Germany. You went to Maryland. You played high school ball there. Why did you decide to go all the way to the West Coast? Why did you decide to go to Stanford? Stanford, I would say, is hands down the best decision a student athlete can make, uh, regardless of what sport you play. As a football player, um, 2016, that was the best option I had in terms of advancing my football career and, uh, you know, using the football to advance my academics. It was, it was a great decision, you know, now four years looking back, Stanford has afforded me so many opportunities. Uh, I was able to meet so many great people. You know, that's what you get when you go on a visit there as a high schooler with your parents. You, you meet the people there. You meet the types of people that you really don't meet anywhere else. Um, and that's what makes Stanford so special. So I'm grateful to have, you know, been able to have the opportunity to go there. Why did you transfer to Duke? There are a couple, couple reasons uh, I decided to transfer a big reason is I wanted to be back on the East Coast just for, you know, the last year that I was going to be able to decide where to play. I wanted my friends and family to be able to get the games easier because that was uh, difficult sometimes over the four years. You know, it's a big time commitment, money commitment. That obviously didn't play out this year because of the pandemic. So we didn't didn't have fans at Duke all year, even though we got to play a full season. The other reason, I wanted to play tackle again. My first years at Stanford, I uh, played tackle, and then I moved inside the guard my junior and senior year. I thought that was a good move for me at the time, you know, just to show my versatility um, so that I can play anywhere uh, on the line where I'm asked to, uh, which is, you know, important for the next level in the NFL. But I definitely thought it was good for me to show my uh, athletic ability at tackle again this year, playing a full season, being healthy, you know, and I would say, you know, what I the, the goals that I set out in transferring, uh, I accomplished them this year, and so I'm tremendously happy about that. What was it like playing football at like two of the most elite academic institutions in the U.S.? It's a grind for sure. It's tough. They don't they don't make the academics any easier just because you play athletics. You know, from the standpoint of getting into the school, from the standpoint of maintaining a good GPA while you're at the school and things of that nature. But the best part about it, I would say, is that you're surrounded by people who are striving to be the best in whatever they're doing, whether it's in football or in whatever sport or whatever academic uh, field. You know, they're studying from the students to the professors to the TAs. And so, you know, that's infectious when you're around people 24-7 who are striving to be the best at whatever it is they're doing. And it's great to see that. And like I said, that's why... Uh, it's great to be to have had opportunities to go to institutions like that. I was just going to ask, you know, when you're choosing to transfer schools and you're coming from Stanford, I would think like, you know, that kind of opens the door to transfer to Duke as far as transferring credits, right? So I graduated from Stanford. I got my under, undergrad degree from Stanford. So I graduated um, and then transferred as a grad transfer. So I'm working on my master's degree at Duke currently, uh, and I'll be done with that by the it's the end of May, so I didn't have to worry about transferring any credits. Uh, it was more so just about, you know, getting the test scores that the business school at Duke wanted to see, uh, and then obviously my academic pedigree in terms of my GPA and things like that. Deborah, if football doesn't work out, I mean, obviously your future is uh, is looking bright because you went to uh, two pretty good schools, and that's an understatement. 
For sure. That's, that's always been the goal. You know, football is going to end at some point. Uh, so just being able to use it, you know, to play as long as I can and use it to, you know, advance my future and things like that. You also played for the two most respected head coaches in college football, so as far as I'm concerned, David Shaw at Stanford and David Cutcliffe at Duke. What was the main difference between these two men? I'd say they're not polar opposites, but they're very different. You know, Coach Cut is a lot older than Coach Shaw. You know, just based off that, there's a there's a difference maybe. But like you said, two tremendous coaches. Again, I would say that's another part of the reason why I went to those two schools because you you find coaches like that who are you know not just great coaches but genuinely good people they will go down as two of the greatest coaches uh, in college football history that's all you can say about them what have you learned from your wealth of playing experience obviously you have a lot of starts under your belt I'm not sure how many games I started during my time at Stanford but I would say it was at least 20 maybe in that time I started at least two games at uh, every single position except center. Uh, and so I would say that is a great amount of experience uh, to have at the next level, to have the film to show the next level, the scouts in the NFL, teams in the NFL, um, that I am versatile. You know, on game days in the NFL, they might dress seven, maybe eight linemen. Um, so you're expected to know multiple positions and be able to play multiple positions and I would say my experience in, in showing that and doing that throughout college makes me, you know, a versatile player that teams should draft. As you look back on your college career, Devry, what is the best memory that you will take away? I would say the best thing is just meeting your teammates, but then making lifelong friendships and bonds out of that. Um, there's just something special about being, you know, with a group of people working towards a common goal. Uh, especially on a big team like a football team. But I'd say, I don't know, sophomore year, my sophomore year when Bryce Love was the Heisman runner-up, that was an extremely fun time to play football. Great group of guys. It was a fun year. We had a successful year. We got to play in the Pac-12 championship. So that was a good time. What is your biggest strength as an offensive lineman? Uh, I would say definitely versatility, like I said, but also uh, I'm mobile. I'm strong. I'm athletic. Uh, I know how to use my athleticism, know how to use my build. I would say that's going to help me at the next level. We talked about life after football a little bit. Um, what's your major, and what do you want to do after football? Uh, so at Stanford, I majored in philosophy and communication, and then now I'm currently working on my master's degree in management science. I haven't thought too much about what I want to do after football. I would say right now, Football is the main focus, and it's great to have those degrees um, in my back pocket uh, to fall back on, like you guys have mentioned. I know at some point in the future I want to go to law school. That's definitely something um, I see myself doing. But like I said, right now I'm focused on playing football for as long as I can. You've lived on the East Coast. You've lived on the West Coast. You've lived in Europe. I mean, what's in the cards? Are you open to working anywhere? I will play for any team that is willing to draft me, willing to pay me. I was just talking to one of my friends about this the other day, but I actually enjoy the fact that I've been, you know, been able to have the opportunities to live in so many different places and move around uh, in the past couple of years, you know, in terms of going to college. Um, we had the opportunity to go to Australia um, with the Stanford football team my sophomore year, I believe. I'm open to moving new places 
learn about new communities, new new places and things like that. Do you, do you ever see yourself as like, you talked about going to law school. Do you ever see yourself as being like a player rep, um, you know, or like a, you know, players union type of representative in the league? You know, as I've been moving throughout this process and, you know, soon to be an employee of the NFL, I've definitely been learning more about the NFLPA and the CBA and learning what's written in there and things like that. Uh, Steve Carrick, my agent, he runs the Carrick Sports Management firm, but he also does a lot of work on, you know, player rights and things like that. You know, that definitely might be, you know, something interesting to look look into uh, when I'm done playing for sure. Thank you for being with us and good luck on the draft, okay? Thank you for your time, guys. We did a huge show last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, please do so. It was uh, Blitzcast number 157, and we did predictions for each positional group. We went through the, the best, most underrated, most overrated prospects. Then we answered some questions that some of you have been dying to find answers to. Ed and I gave our opinions. We put ourselves on the line, and we liked that show so much we decided to answer some questions. A couple of questions came from our readers and listeners. Send in a couple of emails. A few questions Ed and I just came up on our own. Certain questions have to be answered once we're getting down to the NFL draft. Ed, what are your thoughts right now? Just we're a week away from the NFL draft. Where are you at? Where is your mind right now? Gosh, I'm thinking about the NFL draft. Uh, that's where my mind is. I'm I'm excited. I, you know, I mean, there's a, you can make all the predictions in the more world and see all the different scenarios and this and that. And but you know, we, we really don't ever know what's going to happen, who's going to go where until the draft happens. Well, I think the the major question on my mind is what the 49ers are going to do at number three once they made that trade. Which quarterback it will be selected there? And we'll do our mock draft next week. You know, we'll go back and forth a little bit and just predict which players are going to go where in the first round. But I'm sure the thing that's on your mind is who the Steelers are going to draft in that first round. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple names that I, I really I really want them to draft. I mean, the two that kind of come to mind, I mean, in the first round is I really like the idea of Samuel Cosme. You know, they do need that left tackle. And I mean, Chuck Wuma for I don't think he's as performed as well as I thought he would. He hasn't quite turned the corner. And maybe he, you know, maybe what he is is just more of a, a swing tackle in the league at this point and you know you know they can hold on to him and see but i would love to add a left tackle another option and maybe a core four is your left tackle this year and maybe you go another way i mean they they have a need at cornerback that's a big question for me too is you know what are they what are they going to do at cornerback i really like jc horn it sounds like a lot of teams like him he could be you know sort of in that 15 range might be off the board there's a number of ways this could go and in the second round there's a couple names that i like i i really like fryermuth from penn state as a Steeler as a Steeler selection that's one option i mean he could be kind of like a mini heath he's pretty complete um you know he could eventually take over as the number one tight end i think that would be a weapon for them another another option for them is uh what do they do with uh go for someone like javante williams from uh North Carolina, which would really be a perfect fit for them, um, you know. But the question is, will he be there in the second round? So, yeah, I got I got a lot of thoughts, and I'm excited to see where they go. 
get ready for some Najee Harris talk in the first round. I mean, the Steelers could go against the grain. Not many teams are picking first-round running backs nowadays, but they need to go back to that smash mouth football. They've got an old quarterback nowadays with all due respect to Big Ben. I mean, you can't possibly expect them to throw 50 or 60 times a game. That will get you in trouble. You need to go back to the old Steeler football. But there's one thing I do know about the Steelers. They're going to choose an edge rusher in the first round. That's almost a given. And they're going to take another wide receiver on day two. Like Colbert always has a plan. And that's the plan that he usually sticks to. So Expect edge rusher in the first round, even though that might not be what most Steelers fans want because you mentioned they need a left tackle and um, expect a a pass catcher on day two. I I could see the pass catcher on day two, but I I do think they do need to draft um, an outside linebacker in the the fourth round. But I, I, I just can't see who they would go with in the first round. I mean, I, I really I really like the tandem they have. I mean, they have T.J. Watt. I do expect them to extend him. And and the other option is, uh, you know, is, is Highsmith. And I, I like what I've seen out of Highsmith. I'm, I'm willing to give him the starting job at this point. So between Highsmith and T.J. Watt, I'm happy with my starters. To be honest with you, I think it's more of a position of depth. I think that's what that's where my concern is. All right, let's get to the questions. And the first question on tap is about Justin Fields. We've heard a lot of things during this offseason about Justin Fields, where he's going to go, whether he is rising up draft boards or dropping. Some people have him going to the Patriots of 15. That's a bit crazy to me. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. But When the season ended, Justin Fields was the number two quarterback for a lot of people behind Trevor Lawrence. Ever since the offseason arrived, Zach Wilson jumped him. Mac Jones, it sounds like, jumped him. Some people are pushing Trey Lance. What's going on with Justin Fields? Why are a lot of us, including you and I, doubting the Ohio State quarterback? You have him fourth in your QB rankings. I have him fifth in my QB rankings. What is the reason for this? Hasn't he done everything that was asked of him? I think it's it's it's, it's a factor of that he's just a different type of quarterback than we're used to. I mean, we're used to this archetypical Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, pocket passer. That's what we're used to. And so we look for that in quarterbacks. We see that in you know guys like Trevor Lawrence and so forth. And now there's guys like Patrick Mahomes who are a little different and you know, we're seeing guys like Kyler Murray succeed in the league and Lamar Jackson won an MVP. But, you know, I mean, there's there's even the question of, you know, the longevity of the running quarterback and, um, you know, the dual threat quarterback. So there is still a level of unknown, but, you know, he isn't that archetypical pocket passer. And I think that's why he's being pushed down. But those quarterbacks work in today's NFL. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, you mentioned Kyler Murray. Deshaun Watson, that's exactly what the NFL is looking for. And I think the NFL isn't looking for a pocket quarterback anymore. That's the question mark that a lot of people have with Mac Jones. Do I want a quarterback in today's NFL in 2021 that plays like Mac Jones? I don't. I want somebody that has that dual threat ability. I want somebody that's a runner. And I also think there's a misconception about Justin Fields. He's not Lamar Jackson. 
He's not Josh Allen. He's a much better passer coming out of college. Say what you want about Ohio State's system, but this man has completed over 68% of his passes during those two years at Ohio State. He's a much better, more polished pocket passer than we give him credit for. He's a lot more accurate than people give him credit for. He's not just a running quarterback. The question is, is like, I, I, if, I don't love comparisons, but if I had to compare him to somebody, I, I would say he's Cam Newton. And, and it's like, we saw with Cam Newton not have the longevity. Do you think that's something that's in these scouts' minds when they're deciding who to take? I think it is, but you can make the same case for Trey Lance as well. He also had a ton of yards on the ground during that one and lone season at North Dakota State as a redshirt freshman. So he's a runner as well. I mean, Trevor Lawrence also ran quite a bit during the last two years. And he's going to run quite a bit in Urban Meyer's offense as well. He's not just going to be a pocket passer or just rolling out of the pocket. He, they're going to make him run. That's just the type of offense that that Urban Meyer is going to bring. I'm not saying he's going to be like running wild, but he's going to be running a lot. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. I think there have been a lot of question marks about his mental capacity. And a lot of people see the physical tools, but they don't believe that he has it, like from a mental standpoint. But everything that he has shown throughout his career, I mean, he took the Big Ten by storm two years ago when he arrived with the Buckeyes, put up huge numbers there, and then this year followed it up, had a couple of bad games. He did. He had a bad game against Indiana. You know, he got off to a great start, and then he threw a couple of those picks. Against Northwestern, you know, he had an injury that he dealt with, he wasn't comfortable with, didn't have a good game. Then he turned around against Clemson in the semifinal game, and he was the best player on the football field. He was better than Trevor Lawrence. He was better by a mile than Trevor Lawrence on that football field on that day. And then against Alabama, you know, they were overmatched and he didn't play well. So that's three bad games. But overall, I mean, he has shined in the big moments. And this isn't the first time he shined against Clemson, by the way. Two years ago against Lawrence, even though they lost, Fields had a good game. So this isn't just like, I'm, I'm going to pick on weak competition in the Big Ten, and then I'm going to fall short against big-time competition. That hasn't been the case. And that shot that he took, I mean, he showed toughness. He stayed in the game, and he put up just outstanding numbers during that game. Again, for me, I just see some things like the NFL is a faster game. You need to process. You need to read the field. You need to go through your progressions. You need to make good decisions. And I think those are the question marks that I have for Justin Fields. But I wouldn't put it past him that, hey, he's going to come into the league, go in the right situation, get a chance to start as a rookie, and then win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And by the way, Cam Newton is not a bad comparison. Cam Newton went to the Super Bowl. He won an MVP. Justin Fields, again, is a better thrower than Cam Newton was when, when you compare the two prospects as passers. It's an interesting dilemma in terms of where Justin Fields is and, and how we feel about him. But I believe somebody is going to get a, a very good player. All right, let's move on to another quarterback, and that's Trey Lance. Ed, do you believe that Trey Lance has the highest upside 
out of all the top quarterbacks, out of the, the top five guys. Obviously, he's a one-year starter, tons of physical tools to work with. Where do you stand on him? I hate to say this, but I, I have my concerns about Trey Lance. I mean, I, I see him as a first-round guy. I don't know if he's the guy that I would take. I mean, I don't know if he's the guy I would zone in on. You mentioned it once that he's a one-year wonder. So, And I think there's just a lot of unknowns with the level of football he's played. Another thing that I'm seeing on tape is I think his accuracy is inconsistent. And that concerns me. I, I need someone who you know has consistent accuracy, especially at that level of football. I have my questions about Trey Lance. Well, I wrote an article today. Um, go check it out on NFLDraftBlitz.com today when I release it. I made a case for Trey Lance to the 49ers at three. I made a case where I see him as a better fit and a better quarterback long-term than Mac Jones or Justin Fields. So to me, behind those top two guys who are Lawrence and Zach Wilson, I think Trey Lance is the next best thing because we're not talking about what this guy is going to be next year. We're talking about how good is this quarterback going to be in three years. And I just think Lance has the entire package. And by the entire package, I mean, obviously, the, the size, the arm strength, the dual threat ability are there. But he's a calm and poised guy in the pocket. He's always playing within himself. He's very coachable. He's like a sponge. I mean, everybody kind of swears by him. And he's got that quiet demeanor, but he's got that inner confidence. And he's been through some struggles before. I mean, Power 5 conferences have basically told him, you got to play DB, you're not going to play quarterback for us. Well, Trey Lance went to North Dakota State and proved to the entire world that he's a top five quarterback. I think, like, for the Falcons at four, I would strongly consider Trey Lance because I bring him in, I still have Matt Ryan, I can develop him. Like, I can sit, he can be on my bench for a year or two. You can learn a lot of things from Matt Ryan. Ryan has been an incredibly successful starting quarterback in this league. I hear what you're saying in terms of the accuracy and the ball placement, but I think those things will come along. There's a lot to work with because he's the only quarterback out of this draft, as crazy as that sounds, that ran like a pro-style offense. Play action passes, taking snaps from under center. You don't see it from the other top quarterbacks. They're certainly capable of it, but we haven't seen it. Lance would appeal to a lot of NFL teams in, in that regard, to a guy like Arthur Smith, who loves those play-action passes. He's been so successful with Ryan Tannehill the last couple of years. Kyle Shanahan, he also runs an offense. You know, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of play-action passes. I think Lance is the perfect fit for the 49ers offense. And Jimmy G, keep him for a year. Let Lance develop. And then let's go. Let the Trey Lance show begin in 2022. But I hear what you're saying. Again, he is a risk because one-year starter. But Mac Jones is also a one-year starter. I, I want to go in that direction as well. I want to pose that question to you. Well, Mac Jones is a one-and-a-half-year starter. Well, he started four games. I mean, technically, the I think they both started 17 games because Lance started 16 games, including the FCS playoffs. He had that one game in Central Arkansas that made 17 starts. Mac Jones also has 17 starts under his belt. I really got over my bias against Mac Jones. 
I really see he's the third best quarterback in this draft. I mean, he's got a quick internal clock. He moves very fast. He can use a high-tempo offense. He he executes as well. He's very confident in himself. Uh, he's got good accuracy. He, he he can add the arm strength. He was one of the most productive co- college quarterbacks. I mean, he has a national championship. He he can talk smack to Nick Saban, so he's earned some respect there. There's there's a lot to like about Mac Jones, and I understand he was not the five star recruit. You know, he wasn't the Bryce Young or the Tua Tung Viola coming into Alabama. But you know what? He did the things that Tua did, and he did the things that you know Bryce Young could do at Alabama. It's hard to find an argument to that, and that's why a lot of people have fallen in love with Mac Jones. All right, let's move on to the next question. If you're a team with the veteran quarterback in the top 10, and the two teams that I want to focus on are the Falcons at four and the Lions at number seven, would you invest in a quarterback at the top and think of the future? Would you draft a quarterback if you were the Falcons or the Lions? I mean, when you're rebuilding... Alex, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, the top guys are going to go to the Jaguars and the Jets. So, I mean, there, there are some good options, but if, if I'm the Falcons, I'm not going to try to get the fourth best quarterback in the draft or the fifth best quarterback. I'm going to try to stockpile a bunch of young players that can hit at different positions and then wait until it's my turn to get a quarterback. I think, you know, when you got Matt Ryan, he can be the veteran in the room. He can teach those young players how to play football, how to develop, and barely plant the seeds from the future. It's a trust the process type of thing. With the Lions, I want to see what Jared Goff does with the Lions. My, my best guess is that, you know, it's not going to look good. It's not going to be pretty, you know, with the Lions. I, th- I think they might be the team that's picking first next year. But, I mean, you see what you have in Jared Goff. He's, he's played a few years. He's a young quarterback. He's smart. I would say, you know, stick with him and really try to draft the positions. You know, try to get those top 10 talents. You know, try to hit on a pick. Get a get a position player. Get a defensive player. Get a roster player who can help your team for the future. Here's my argument. Nobody expects the Lions or the Falcons to compete in 2021. No one. The Lions have a lot of holes on defense. They need to address the wide receiver position. They just have a lot of things to cover. The Atlanta Falcons, same thing. I mean, they've got a good offense, but their defense is is terrible. They haven't done a good job drafting players on that side of the ball. It's because both teams have new head coaches and new GMs. They have security behind them. Nobody expects them to win next year. So that means they have to think of the future in a couple of years. I understand that the Lions just traded for Jared Goff and I get it, but it was more of a dumpster fire. I mean, it was like Stafford wants out, so this is the next best thing. I mean, you can't expect Goff to just become all of a sudden Joe Montana, you know, for the next five or 10 years. Pretty much have seen the good and the bad from Jared Goff, so he's probably somewhere in the middle. And by the way, I'm a fan of Jared Goff. I think he's going to bounce back from what he had with the Rams. I think the Lions will instill some confidence in him. But they have to think of the future. If you get a chance to draft maybe somebody like Justin Fields, why not do it? You don't have to throw him into the fire. You're just thinking of the future. Same thing with the Falcons. Terry Fontenot... With the Saints, I mean, they like to 
get as many quarterbacks as they can on the roster. And he's the new GM of the Falcons, by the way. Arthur Smith knows that he has Matt Ryan for a year or two. That's it. I mean, you can't expect him to be like Brady and play until he's about 50. In my opinion, you have to address the quarterback. One of those teams is going to do it, by the way. It's all about the future. There's nobody at four or seven that's going to rescue you on defense. And most people are mocking, well, if the Falcons don't trade down, most people are mocking Kyle Pitts, the tight end. I love that pick. I do. But again, you're not addressing any needs. You're making your offense even stronger, but your defense is still not going to be able to stop people. The Lions, most people are have them taking a wide receiver, whether it's, it's probably like Jamar Chase because he's an outside receiver and they need one after losing Kenny Galladay. This is about building your team. This is about building your business for the future. Because this is a two, three, four-year project. And those head coaches and GMs, they've got the confidence that they'll still be around for another three years. And therefore, why not address the most important position? Because you have question marks there. Because, you know, Matt Ryan is getting older. Jerry Goff, you don't know what you have there. Why not address it right away in this year's NFL draft? One thing that I... I, I, I... I, I sort of disagree with or, you know, I think, you know, could be a different strategy that teams could go with in the NFL is, and I think the Bengals were, made this mistake is, you know, I don't, I don't blame the Bengals for this, but you know, when you, when you build a team, right? Like you, you get the quarterback first, right? Like you get that franchise quarterback and then you build around them. But why not build the offensive line? Why not get a few offensive line picks? I mean, like, if you're picking one or two, you go and get your quarterback. That's your opportunity. But why not, you know, when you're picking outside the top five or you're picking in the top ten, why not get a couple offensive line guys, build up your offensive line, get your bookends, and protect, you know, protect your your, your current quarterback. So then when you draft that quarterback, when you get your guy, he's well-protected and you can start thinking about receivers and defensive players in rebuilding your team. That's a smart strategy. You address the offensive line. We saw what happened. Andrew Luck, uh, he once again was able to do something after they addressed the offensive line and were able to protect him. And we all saw in the Super Bowl, even if you have Superman and Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, he can't do it all by himself if he doesn't have those bookends that can protect him. And the Bucks had a field day with them. So I think that's definitely a strategy to go with. And I hope the Bengals are listening, by the way. If Kyle Pitts on the board at five, you take Panay Sewell because you don't want Joe Burrow to be on the shelf injured again in 2021 like you were last year. Besides quarterbacks in the first round, and we assume that five quarterbacks are going to go in the first round, maybe even in the top 10, which other positional group will dominate the first round as well? I really think it's going to be offensive tackle. I mean, it's always a position that's overdrafted, but there's there's a there's a number of names that that stick out to me. I mean, you know, if you want guys on the left side, you got Liam Eikenberg, Christian Darrisaw, you know, Samuel Cosme, who you know I've I've gushed over. I mean, and if you need help on the right side, there's Elijah Vera Tucker, who I think is a tackle. I know you have as a guard. And Jalen Mayfield. So I think there are plenty of offensive tackle. I think there's really legitimately five, you know, six, I mean, a bunch of offensive tackles that are first round worthy. And there's there's some guys who were, you know, projected second round, small school guys that 
might actually be thought of as first-round picks by teams in the NFL. I think there's going to be a run on wide receivers again. I just think that we'll see five guys drafted in the first round. Uh, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. I think Rashad Bateman is going to be another guy. And Kadarius Toney. I would say those are the five guys that will be taken in the first round. Maybe another wide receiver slips somewhere at the end of the first round that somebody loves. I also think cornerbacks. Watch out for cornerbacks. I think there's going to be a run on them. Not in the top 10, but I think Patrick Sartain, the second, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley will be that pick as well. Maybe one of the Georgia corners sneaks in, either Eric Stokes or your, your guy, Tyson Campbell. I think one of those dudes uh, might sneak in as well. So we might see a run on corners like at the end of the first round. So I'm going to say cornerbacks and and wide receivers. Uh, As far as offensive tackles, obviously, I mean, some people that you mentioned have, you know, a few of these guys as offensive guards, but it is an important position. Which prospects, Ed, could be surprise first round picks that no one is talking about right now? Give me a couple. Well, of I think Wyatt Davis is someone I've already said openly. I, I mean, I, I mean, he's not Quentin Nelson, but I mean, he's he's that kind of it factor for me. You know, as an offensive guard, I mean, he can just push, and he's got great technique, and it's just like it's just fun to watch him. I mean, it's just, and you know, Ohio State fans gush about the guy. Guards are important. Guards, guards open up the holes for running backs. You know, teams that can run the ball, you know, stick around in the playoffs. Those are the teams that make the playoffs, and those are the teams that stick around in the playoffs are the teams that can run the ball. I'd say, you know, Wyatt Davis is worth the investment in the first round. Another guy is this guy. um, uh, It's kind of hard for me to pronounce his name, but it's Levi Onwuzerike. You know, he's a defensive tackle. I really like his traits. I really, I really do, and I think he's strong. I mean, he sat out a year, but he's a guy that I really want to go with. Another name, and I want to throw this out there, is, you know, the kind of the narrative we've talked about Landon Dickerson, and we've kind of said injuries, injuries, injuries. But, you know, did you see the video where Mac Jones is being interviewed and Landon Dickerson is, is doing handsprings in the background and cartwheels in the background, and it's just kind of like, we can do nothing but laugh. You know what I'm saying? And and, and I think that's, you know, I think they even asked Mac Jones about it. And, I, I mean, Landon Dickerson, he has the tape. He has the strength. I mean, he has the ability. The the barrier is health, but maybe this guy really is healthy. It's a tough sell for me. A guy has been injured for most of his career, whether it was at Florida State or Alabama. It's a tough sell for me to even take him. Forget about the first round. It's a tough sell for me to, to take him on day two. If I'm taking a guy, I expect him to be a starter. I just I don't know what I'm going to get from Landon Dickerson. He might perform for me for a couple of years, but is that good enough? Like, if you're drafting a guy in the first or even day two, are you saying to yourself, look, I'm convinced that this guy is going to be a stalwart for me, whatever position it is, he's going to be a good player for me for the next seven to ten years. You're convincing yourself of that. With Landon Dickerson, you're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit because a competent GM, there's no way that you can convince yourself that Landon Dickerson is a sure fire that he's going to play for the next seven to ten years. You might get a couple of years out of him, might get a couple of good years out of him, but is that good enough for your team for the future? To me, it's going to be a wasted pick if this guy can't stay healthy for at least 
five to six years. So like I said, Landon Dickerson, I don't even have him on the board. He wouldn't be one of my players on the board. I haven't seen his medical, but just that lawn injury history scares living crap out of me. And I'll go with a couple of guys. I think Eric Stokes from Georgia could be one of those dudes. He had a good junior year in 2020. He blew up the pro day. He ran like a high 4-2, low 4-3s. He's got good ball skills. He's got the athleticism. I think Georgia corner Eric Stokes is going to be appealing to some teams at the end of the first round. And I'm going to say running back because nobody expects teams to take running backs anymore. But last year we saw the Chiefs take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with that last pick. So I wouldn't put it past like the Steelers maybe taking Najee Harris at 24 or maybe some team at the end of the first round taking Harris because he seems to be the consensus guy or maybe somebody taking Travis Etienne just because you can get that that versatile weapon at the end of the first round, a guy that can, that can do it in the number of ways, not only be a runner, but as a receiver, kind of take the page out of what the Chiefs did last year. So I'm going to say running back just in general, one running back will go in the first round. Which NFL team in the top 10 could you see making the playoffs next year with the good 2021 NFL draft? If I'm the Broncos and I hit on a quarterback and I get a few pieces on the offensive line and I get a slot receiver, which are all possible to do in this draft, I think they become a playoff team, Alex. Who is that quarterback, though? Which quarterback do they have to take at nine or trade up for that could push him into the This playoffs. is my plan. Crazy as it sounds, I say you go get Mac Jones in the first round, you go and get like a Rondell Moore in the second round, and then you you know, third and fourth round, fifth round, you, you try to get some offensive line pieces. They have Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is a slot receiver. But it, it's it's you know you know who it I is mean, that I, I'm not big on is KJ Hamler. Well, they drafted two receivers last year. Uh, they decided to go with Judy in the first round and they turned around and then drafted KJ Hamler. You know, the Broncos are an appealing team, Ed. They really are. Just all those weapons, their offensive line is better. You know that defense is going to be fine, especially with Von Miller coming back. That's a scary team. The only thing is, you and I realize this. Broncos fans don't realize this, by the way, that Drew Locke is just not the guy. Yeah, 100%. But Broncos fans are delusional right now. They believe that we saw glimpses of Drew Locke for a couple of games. He showed some flashes, and therefore... I I guess maybe I just have to apologize for being the guy around Denver who's been, you know, saying that Drew Locke's not going to work out, and um, I probably hurt some feelings on the way there, so um, consider this my formal apology. Formal apology that he's not going to yeah, work I out. Yeah, I, I hate to be the guy to tell people that, but I've I've been saying it, and it's 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 the truth, you know. All right, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. They're sitting at ten. They get Dak Prescott back. They they brought in a new defensive coordinator and Dan Quinn. The defense will be better. It certainly can't be any worse, right? NFC East is a winnable division. You look at the teams there, Washington, Philadelphia, Giants, they all have question marks. The Cowboys have the best quarterback in this division. Look, we all know the pick that I made, right? The Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. Well, the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs in 2021 because the NFC East division is just horrible at this point. 
And that's why I'm taking the Cowboys here. Let's move on to the next question on the board. Besides Kyle Pitts, who is your top playmaker on the offensive side of the ball? Well, I think I'm going to surprise you when I say this. Well, I was thinking Najee Harris, but it's not him. I'm going to go with Devonta Smith. I mean, he checks a lot of boxes on tape. You know, I just I see I see the tape, I see the attributes, I see a guy who won the Heisman Trophy as a wide receiver. I see a good athlete. I see a guy who could take over a game in college, won big games, has a national championship. And so I'm going to go with Devonta Smith. I hope Devontae Smith goes to the Panthers. I hope he goes to Arizona. I mean, if he slips out of the top 10. I hope he goes to a team, I've been saying this, at nausea, that he goes to a team with the creative offensive mind that would be able to give him the ball. Slot or outside, it doesn't matter. I agree with you. I also am going to go with Devontae Smith, but with an asterisk that I don't want him to go to Detroit. Detroit is just going to ruin somebody's wide receiver career. So please, Lions, stay away from well, they, Devontae Smith. That might Smith. be who you they can want. Have... I mean, they just lost their, you know, Kenny Galladay. So they might need that, that it factor guy in the receiver room. I hope the Lions take Jamar Chase. And then you could put an axe on Jamar Chase's career just is that, is that because you want to so talk about been... the Lions and who they're going to pick in the first round next year? Absolutely, because you mentioned it. They're going to go quarterback at number one. You basically said that the Lions are already picking number one in, in 2022. You were the first to mention that. Okay, them. well, I, I am, and I think they are They are going to be that team. I, I really think this is going to be a, you know, it's, it's not going to be a pretty sight. Then take a quarterback at seven. You've got a shot, at least, to, to build something for the future. You could still be picking number one like next year, but you can get somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau or something like that from Oregon, and you can address that defensive side of the ball. Have that defensive end, you know, slash edge rusher. Nah, there's that some can get better after the quarterback than Kayvon kind of. Thibodeau coming out. I mean, I, I, if I'm the Lions, I'm going to get like a Sam Howell or a, maybe a Spencer Radler or uh, Dylan Gabriel from UCF. No, I'm not, I'm not going to go with Thibodeau. But that's why I'm saying you take a quarterback at seven this year, and then worry about another position. By the way, you, you had your doubts about Chase Young, I remember, you know, the year before he came out. No, don't doubt Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau is going to be a heck of a player. He's up there with, with Chase Young. Just watch his film, Ed. All right, which positional group will dominate the first three rounds? Last year, it was wide receivers. They were the popular pick. Who is it going to be this year? I might have to think about that for a second. I'm going to go with defensive tackles. Um, there's a bunch that, you know, are are, are good. I, I really like Nixon uh, from Iowa. You know, I've talked about Omuza Reich um, from Washington. Tyler Shelvin, Jay Tufele from USC. Shelvin's from LSU. I mean, Christian Barmore, you know, had a great pro day, great athlete. Um, you know, a lot of people like him in the first round. I think this is this is definitely a deep position. I mean, it's just it's just if you get a defensive tackle in this draft, you're getting a much better athlete than the defensive tackles of the of the past. I'm gonna go with wide receivers. I think wide receivers they're not gonna dominate quite as much as they did last year, but I do think it's gonna be a position that we'll see be drafted a lot during the first three rounds. It won't be like a huge run on them, but I think we'll see like 12, 
13 guys go in the first three rounds, and I think it's going to be more than any other position out there. How about the deepest positional group overall in this draft? The deepest is defensive tackles. Well... Okay, so both. You're going both right there. All right. Well, I mean, as far as day three picks... No, not only day three. We're talking about the entire seven. I could even, I, I could even, you know what? I could even seven. say, I could even say offensive line. I mean, there's some guys in the late rounds that I'm really intrigued by. You know, I really like this guy Stone Forsyth from Florida. I mean, he's got huge length. Um, you know, you could teach him. Darion Parker from Mississippi State. Christensen from BYU. There's. There's some depth of the offensive tackle class. I mean, there's some small school guys that I'm not huge on that other guys are big on. So I think there's a lot of depth on this offensive tackle, you know, sort of offensive guard class. I'm going to say corners. I think I have like 27 players with the draftable grade when it comes to the cornerback position. I'm going to say this this is a deep class of corner. You can address that position on day three and... I think you can get a pretty good guy. I just think cornerback, there's going to be a run on them, especially from like rounds four to six. One final question on tap. If there's one positional group that you would want to have filled by the time of the draft, what would it be? I'm not going to go with what I think is the weakest positional group because I don't think there is an outstandingly weak positional group. Cornerback is just such a hard position to draft. You just don't know with cornerbacks. I mean, you just don't know. The science to drafting a cornerback is hard. I mean, you know, I mean, you could go with, uh, you know, the guy from Alabama, Sertain. I mean, I like a lot of things I like about him. But even him, I, I just, you know, being a cornerback, I've seen it be very difficult to know who the good cornerbacks are in the draft. I mean, if, if, to be honest with you, if I'm a GM of a team, I'm going to go with a team that already has a cornerback. I'm going to try to sign one in free agency because it's just a hard position to draft. That's why if you're a smart GM, take J.C. Horn, and you're going to look smart in three to five years. <laughs> I'm going to go with two positional groups that I think are the weakest in this draft. So if you didn't address them in free agency, I think you're in trouble. I'm going to say safeties just all together. And it's not only in the first round. There's just a lack of good safeties in this draft. There are a couple of guys that you might like bang the table for on day two or maybe a couple of guys you like in the fourth round, possibly. But I think safeties are getting pushed up, and I don't see it from this group. And I'm also going to say edge rushers. And I'm talking about defensive ends, so three, four outside linebackers. Yeah, there are a couple of guys I like, but there's just not enough of them. Like if you look across the board, if you look across the this entire NFL draft, I think those are the two weakest positions. And it seems like the Browns figured that out, by the way. They signed Johnson to be their safety. They also just recently signed Jadavian Clowney to a one-year contract. Not that he's going to save them, but I think they realize that he's probably better than what they're going to get in the NFL draft. Man, I really enjoyed this show. It's uh, We you know we gave some answers, and uh, we'll see how the draft plays Yeah, I had out. fun too, Alex. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of Bloodscast. Take care, everyone.